Welcome to the Side Action Podcast, the sports gambling show that covers everything in the world of sports betting from A through Z. We'll cover the four major sports as well as anything and everything in between worth some action and we'll increase the size of your bankroll. And here we go. Welcome to Side Action, episode 21 of season four. My name is Jim Weggers, a.k.a. Weggs. You can follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm Steve Roberts, a.k.a. Action. You can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. Follow the podcast on Side Action Pod on Twitter. So Action, um, obviously a big wildcard weekend, which we'll get into. Um, you've obviously had some other success in golf. I, I, had, a, I had a great weekend betting. I mean, I... I, you know, three and all this weekend, all my, my picks hit. And um, overall, I, I, I still am alive in the ATS. We kind of communicated about that. Schwan, I, the, the other guy, we, we basically made the same picks the whole time. So we'll have to change it up this week if we want to win something. No drama, huh? Every game, I know you texted me, you looked, and you guys had the exact same side. Stupid Rams. I was going to flip to the Rams, and I was like, ugh, but I can't. I hate the Rams, like Stafford, but – you know, ultimately we'll talk about that was the right side, but, um, but it looks like you were, you know, cashing some tickets in this golf match, huh? Yeah. I, I think I told you I was one of my, uh, goals, I guess you would call it for the air gambling goal is to, uh, get mm-hmm. more into golf. And, uh, right. I stumbled across this website called datagolf.com that has a whole mm-hmm. boatload of information and strokes gained approach, strokes gained putting and, driving off the tee and i've been kind of like crunching some numbers and they offer some little bit of modeling too to give you some predictions Mm -hmm. and uh so i picked some golfers last week in the sony open and uh had russell henley who jumped out to the 18 hole lead and really had like a three stroke lead going into the last nine holes and unfortunately he had to battle matsuyama going down the stretch who i also had a bet on in the tournament so ultimately uh, they went into a playoff, and Henley would have been a slightly better payday, so I was cheering for him. And then on right. the 18th hole, they replayed it in the playoff. Matsuyama, par five, drilled a 270-yard uh, three wood to like three feet from the pin for eagle, and Henley had no chance. So it was a wow. exciting finish. That's awesome. Well, good for you, cash and tickets. I've heard the VSIN guys are all over golf all the time. So, mm-hmm. and we will, you know, sign actual listeners. A little preview. There's a little golf late at the end of this episode, so stick stick to it. Um, well, let's let's jump into the wild card weekend. You know, it was an interesting weekend. Um, overall, the books got crushed uh, <laughs> because the favorites just dominated. Um, you know, the favorites on the weekend were five and one against the spread so that means dogs are one and five and then the road dogs were one and five because all the home teams were the favorites as well in this these matchups um the lone dog was you know san francisco and we'll talk about them in a minute but they were the only one that came through and, and we obviously were on them as well so and then the unders the unders came in i was a little surprised in a couple of the games but the unders came in four and two uh so i think i guess that's probably typical for the playoffs in general uh but it seemed like some of the matchups just didn't, and some of them were close. You know, they were very close. You know, the Raiders two yard line or whatever, what they got there, and they, they stayed under. But um, and in general, the spread didn't matter, as we've kind of talked about a lot of the season. None of the games were really affected by the spread directly. Uh, if you picked the side, you would have been able to win outright. So um, I don't know. Besides getting the highs and lows, any other impressions from Wildcard weekend? Yeah, boring, boring AF. I I can't tell you. Okay that I was focused on any of the six games that were played over the weekend, save for maybe the Niners. We had yeah. other things going on around the house and was probably more focused on basketball, to be honest with you. Right. I mean, the Raiders game, the Raiders uh, Cincinnati game was decent. It came down to the end. It was kind of one of those. I just felt like the Bengals didn't want to take over. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit, but, um, but in general, you're right. It was kind of drama-free, and I, I missed that Niners game. We were communicating. I was playing volleyball, and I came out, and I was checking the score, and you're like, oh, no, you missed it. It was like that was the only one that came, had some drama. Everything else was kind of a one-sided affair. So with the highs, I mean, we start off with the Bills. The Bills were, you know, they, they were on a mission. I mean, not just against the Patriots. They've been playing great since that Tampa game. 
uh, in the second half, and the Bills just kind of destroyed the Patriots. You know, we we kind of liked the Patriots with the points because it was you know plus four was kind of weird number, and but since they played that first game, they haven't punted action. Right. The, the Bills played two games without punting against the Patriots. In this game, they played a perfect game where they they scored on TDs in every single drive, except for the kneel downs at the end of the half near the game and. And Josh Allen played incredibly, but I, I really like how Devin Singletary was running the ball too. Yeah, they're finally getting the run game going. I know you've been harping on the Bills all year about their lack of a running attack. And uh, Singletary scored two touchdowns, and as you mentioned, the Pats just couldn't stop them. I think that uh, the Patriots' defense is a little bit over the hill, and certainly they'll be looking to replace some of those pieces going into next year. Yeah, definitely. They look slow. I mean, the Bills look so much faster at every position in that game. So, you know, it was the right side. I mean, we, we obviously, you know, in the end, the Bills are are advancing, and unfortunately they draw the Chiefs, and we'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, the other high was the Bengals. They won their first playoff game since 1990. Well, it's the 1991 season, so I believe Boomer Esiason might have been quarterback back then. This yeah. is like I was in high school back then. I mean, I can't believe it. All those years with uh, Marvin Lewis, they lost all those games, and they almost blew it. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, Carr had a chance at the end of that game to at least tie the game or at least, you know, either or go for two and win it. But they had a chance to force overtime. But the Bengals looked great in the first half and played really conservative to win that game outright uh, against the uh, Raiders and also cover the number. Mm-hmm. I, apparently, I, I don't know if you heard, Wags, that was before text messages were invented. I that was like the running joke I must have seen a hundred times in social media over the weekend. But uh, Joe Burrow, I was impressed with his first playoff start. He really doesn't seem like the moment gets to him at all. Um, he definitely has the pedigree coming out of LSU and going on that magnificent national championship run. So it'll be interesting to see if the offense can sustain this week going up against Tennessee, who's been pretty good defensively the last several weeks after they lost King Henry. Were you impressed with Joe Burrow's glasses after no. the game? He had kind of those violet covered glasses or colored glasses. You know, uh, Rainmaker Zach Suter said he's going to sport those at O'Donovan's after a softball game. Which <laughs> I dared him to do so. Those were not. I don't know what those were from the '60s. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Something that John Lennon would wear, I think. But definitely not a fan of those glasses. Okay. Good enough. Good enough. Uh, the last high was the Niners. We had talked about this game. We, we liked the Niners in this game, and they had the big road win against Dallas. A couple stories in this game. One of them, well, first of all, the Niners controlled this game right away. They went down and scored the opening touchdown and really didn't look back. I mean, Dallas only scored seven points through three quarters. It The Niners kind of opened the door in the fourth quarter. You know, Jimmy G had a bad interception. They went for fourth down. I think they kind of got jobbed on the spot on the the third down and then of course had the false start so they opened the door and then Dallas I mean this is one of the things with Dallas we talked about this I love their metrics I love their their team but their coaching sucks and uh, McCarthy and you know obviously I'm a little bit surprised that they ran the ball on that last play (laughs) where they just kind of ran out of time and they blamed the refs but in the end it was a decision to run the draw and they couldn't set the ball in time. And Kellen Moore's up for a lot of coaching jobs. But, I mean, his defense, his offense couldn't get it done against that San Francisco defense. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, read and heard a lot about the last play, obviously. And it sounds like McCarthy had some say in that, too. So sure. he strikes again. But I think the bigger story was what happened in the previous three quarters, point nine, fourth quarter, where they just couldn't do anything against San Francisco. The points that they scored late were really benefited by those turnovers. And uh, I think you really had to question the game plan. I know that they passed way heavier than they ran after both Zeke and Pollard had such big seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll fire McCarthy, but they should. I mean, we I've been on board with that even since last year. I thought that he was garbage, but that talent, it's a shame. I mean, in the end, I think the Niners are a really good football team, but Dallas should have probably showed better, at least in this game. On the lows, I had to put the Cardinals, Kingsbury, and Murray. I mean, in general, this team... Look, I, I wanted the Cardinals to win. I picked them in my team. I stayed away from the betting. I, I was off on this one. But they didn't play to play. The game plan was garbage. Kingsbury um, has been terrible on the stretch. You probably saw the tweet where basically he's lost five or six or four or five or six or seven in each of the last five seasons as a head coach. Obviously, he doesn't do adjustments. And 
they looked terrible the first three drives, and then Murray had the terrible play in the end zone. They kind of killed the. I mean, the game was in control by the Rams, but that pick six from the two yard line when he did that crazy underhanded throw that ended the game. And it's kind of a shame they had a really good season, but you know, up through like twelve games. <laughs> yeah, it really is a shame after the start. Uh, media was talking about Kingsbury as a potential coach of the year candidate, and uh, yeah. they definitely faltered down the stretch. I got to be honest, after the pick six, I turned it off, so I didn't really watch the second half at all. But uh, they just didn't show up, even even with JJ Watt. You know, there was some discussion about how Watt returning could change the defense a little bit, and that didn't come to fruition either. And that was my handicap. Well, I picked them in the ATS because I thought, well. The Rams haven't been playing great, and neither team played great. And then you're thinking, well, the defense is a little bit better for the Cardinals, but it didn't really matter. The defense didn't play well, but when you're not, it was really it needed to be a tennis match. And in the end, when you're not going to score with the Rams, you're just going to be in trouble. And, but it can make it pretty good for the Rams. We could talk about that in a minute. Uh, next one was the Eagles' offensive game plan. Oh, my God. I mean, look, Nick Sarandon, I don't think he's a great coach. We talked about him in the beginning of the year where his – Opening press conference could have been the worst opening press conference of a, of a coach ever. But this, you know, high school type offense for the Eagles against this Bucks revitalized defense, I don't know what they were doing. I mean, it was it was atrocious early. They had a couple of plays where they probably could have done better. Um, obviously, Hurts, you know, missed, you know, whatever, missed Smith at one point in the half and the terrible play by the punt. But I just think the offensive that wasn't the right one against this Bucks defense. Yeah, yeah, clearly. They um, they weren't able to run the ball, and they had to rely on Hertz's arm, and that was a recipe for disaster, obviously. Right, right. I, and they did not cover. It was another miss in the ATS. I was game. kind of hoping that Gardner <laughs> Minshew would get some run out in the second half, but that never happened either. It was interesting. You know, I would put that on Twitter, and, you know, some of the guys, our guy, it was Warren Sharp or one of those guys, was like really defending Hurts being in the game that he's a better quarterback. I'm like, when you're throwing the ball exclusively, I don't think he is. I think Minshew's better. Now, when he's going to run the ball, sure. But it was clear that he wasn't going to really – the plan of attack wasn't working in terms of him running sweeps and stuff. So right. why not get a guy who's just going to zing it and really be more accurate with the throws? Because he had some pretty bad throws that – there was other ones that could have been picked in that game, not just the ones that they got away from him. Yep. The last low I had was the officiating. I just thought overall, and I don't, I know that you know there's been a lot in the media talking about grading of officials, but you know we had the play in the Bengals game which we didn't mention. You know the Burrow touchdown that he clearly was in bounds when he threw the ball, and the whistle blew, and then people stopped. They still called it a touchdown. There were plays like that all over every single game. The officiating was just bad, and um, it was felt like a preseason, didn't it? Yeah, definitely, and I, I don't know that there's any solution to that. To be honest, I don't I don't really see that changing at all. It's just something as betters that we have to deal with, and it's not really anything that you can incorporate into a handicap either. You just have to ride with the highs and the lows when it comes to the officials. Right, right. I mean, usually the better team's going to win, but I mean, some of the ones kind of maybe affected some some totals, you know, or some sides anyway. But we'll we'll see. Yeah. Well, let's go to the divisional round action. Um, you know, all I do for the school, you know, playoff index, I don't necessarily recalculate it every week like I did during the regular season. I just put where people were at at the end of, you know, using the regular season stats to come up with the index. But you've got some pretty good teams left. Obviously, Buffalo at the top of the heap, they've been there all year. Um, and then the Bucks at number two, the Chiefs, Packers. Then you've got Rams, 49ers. Um, you've got Bengals over the Titans. I mean, the numbers are close on the back four, but um, you know some of these matchups are really tight action when I look at the index, which makes sense to the better teams. But certain things like we'll talk about it, the Bills, you know, are markedly better than the Chiefs, and the Bucks are actually markedly better, you know, than their opponent, the Rams. But injuries do play into all this, so we'll have to talk about it. I know you haven't redone DBOA, but any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I was looking. I don't think that they updated. It's the exact same order, and I would have thought that at least the Patriots would have slid down a little bit. So, sure. I, I don't, I don't recall if they incorporate postseason numbers into DVOA. But sure. looking back at yours, I mean, I, the thing that jumps out at me right at the top is how higher the bill, how much higher the Bills are ahead of the Chiefs, and uh, you know that may be a preview of your pick to come later. 
but uh, kind of that strikes me as um, as a, a major difference. Four points there. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, I don't incorporate the the direct, you know, four points equals four points of spread, but. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the handicap. I mean, the Bills have been the best team, and we've talked about that. They beat up on really bad teams throughout the season and then, you know, lost most ones. So we'll see. The Chiefs did rise up fast, you know, late in the season, yeah. and we can discuss that in the handicap. Well, let's talk about the injuries. I mean, because I think this is more impactful in the playoffs maybe because now we're just talking about people going on in and really – not that they don't during the regular season, I think that – when you have injuries at certain positions like defensive line, offensive line, you're going to expose them really badly in the playoffs. The Bengals defensive line are the first one. This Larry Okunjobi is out. Uh, he's their stud defensive tackle that left in the game. And you know, the Raiders are averaging six yards of rush, and they stopped. They didn't rush that many times. They should run more. And I don't see any new news on Daniels here. Um, but there's also Trey Hendrick, Hendrickson, who had the concussion, a defensive end. He was a stud for the whole season. He's questionable in the Titan game. These are really key injuries for them. Yeah, definitely are. I did see that Hendrickson practiced today with full practice. I don't know if that means he's cleared protocol. I would imagine he has to to play uh, to practice. So that would definitely be a big get back for them. But Mike Daniels is not looking good from what I'm reading, and obviously the loss of Ogunjobi is going to hurt on the inside as well. Those two guys are really their stout run defenders, and definitely not a good recipe as Tennessee comes to town. That's right, right. Kind of jump to last with that game. You've got the return of uh, Derrick Henry. He did. He had full contact practice, so he it looked like he's a, a go. Um, you're writing that he's anticipated 20 carries this week, so they're going to be formidable for that Kansas State, or no, Kansas State defense. Yeah, I would hear might get a couple of carries as well, just the change of pace back in there. And so I, I have very high expectations for the Titans' run game this weekend. Yeah, me too. Another big one is San Francisco. You know, this is my, you know, Super Bowl runner-up pick here. Uh, you've got defenders. Warner, Fred Warner, the linebacker, because he's fine. But Bosa is, you know, we got to monitor him. He had a concussion as well. He was knocked out of the game. We know that it's not Joey, right? It's not Nick. Uh, but he's, you know, he's obviously critical for the pass rush against Aaron Rodgers. But the other one is Jimmy G. And it's funny because Jimmy G ended up playing the game, but apparently he had a shoulder sprain going in the game. That's what they said. And you're saying there's rumors swirling around that he might not be available, which is critical. Um, sorry, the minus uh, plus five, uh, five point five action. But um, but yeah, I mean, if he didn't play, I mean, there's no chance with uh, Trey Lance, right? Well, I mean, the spread I think would move. That we'll have to talk about yes. what that difference might be. But I'm been hearing rumors all week on media that I listen to that there are some insiders who are suggesting that Jimmy G might actually be closer to questionable than actually looking to play. Practice report from Tuesday shows light practice. I don't see any data from today, Wednesday, but I personally suspect that this is just Shanahan trying to play more games. I mean, he, historically, he is he always pulls the BS, and uh, I, have, I have pretty high expectations that it's going to be Jimmy G. And you've seen here in the last day or two that the line has moved up to six, so I don't know if that is directly related to that or if it's just folks lining up to bet the Packers. Yeah, I think that people are lining up to bet the Packers right now. I think the, you know, the obviously the defensive injuries. Now, usually you said that the limits go up on Wednesday or Thursday. When do they Thursday. go up? Because this game is a Saturday night game. No, that's true. I, I don't know if they change them based on the game date, but typically the larger sports books that cater to the pros will raise limits on Thursday. Okay, so it's a more like I kind of want to see where this line goes tomorrow, even though I'm already invested. Um, but I just kind of for my ATS pick, you know, in the pool. You know, I'm, I'm still love. I love the matchup here. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let me. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. <laughs> um, the last one is the Bucks. I think this is a really important injury for right tackle who questioned with an ankle. You know, he was in the game, got hurt, they brought him back, and Ryan Kerrigan was running all over him. They had to they had to get him out of the game again. And in fact, I actually thought the Eagles played pretty decent in the second half of that game mm-hmm. without Worf's injury, which Jensen, although he wasn't on the injury report this week. Um, you know, so that's important because the Rams run for, you know, obviously with Donald in the middle and Von Miller and, and put on the outside. I mean, they're going to get after Brady in the first matchup, so you need help this line for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw in the second half that, as you mentioned, the Eagles started to get some pressure on Tom Brady. And yeah. given his lack of weapons on the outside, ultimately that's going to add up. And bring an offense that's already uh, decreasing down a little bit more. So I did see that worse was a DNP on Wednesday today at practice, and and he and Jensen are certainly two to monitor. Yeah, we'll see. Well, let's, let's roll one of the handicaps here for the divisional round. We do have some other stuff to cover today or this week uh, on the outside action. So so the Saturday games line up like this. You've got the Bengals at the Titans in the first game, 4.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. 
The Titans open as a three-point favorite at home. It's up to three and a half right now, 47-point total. Look, I, you know, even with the Bengals, the injuries aside, I think the Bengals definitely the injuries are really going to help our handicap for the Titans. But I think the rest of the Titans and the way they played all season, getting people healthy, you know, being a home favorite at three or three and a half is obviously the hook. But I'm all over the Titans in this one action. I think the Bengals were happy to win their game. And as good as Joe Burrow's been, unless they kind of pull some magic, I think they could get kind of pummeled by a team that's ready. You know, they, they've done what they needed to do to get to the regular season to get the one seed, and the Titans are just going to run it down their throat. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, I was thankful that I saw a tweet from Adam Turnoff, I think, like midway through the second half on Sunday. Yeah, as it looked like Cincinnati was going to win the game, FanDuel posted odds on these two AFC uh, matchups. Right. And I quickly jumped on the Titans, minus two and a half, oh, for you. assuming that they were going to be down some of those defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're sitting at three and a half. I would certainly tell the listeners that there's no rush to jump in and bet the Titans at three and a half. At this point, right. the difference between three and a half and four is minimal. You mm-hmm. might as well hold out and see if it trends back to three. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's obviously, I think, the way that they've set up the slate, this this makes sense. I'm not saying that the Bengals can't win this game. They certainly can. We've seen them beat really good opponents, including the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. But, you know, we'll see. I think that, you know, one of the things I noted from the Raiders game, uh, you know, I don't think Zach, Zach Taylor was very aggressive when he needed to be. Maybe he'll be more aggressive this week, and that's what he needs to do to win this game. He needs to unleash Burrow. Um, you know, and Chase and the gang and just go for it because they really were conservative, especially in the second half in that game against the Raiders. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I mean, you have to. You're going against the number one seed in the AFC, so definitely need to throw out all the stops here. And speaking of the total, 47 looks like there's some over money that is hitting the market, so it looks like uh, betters are expecting a higher scoring game here. What are you thinking on the total? You think it'll stay under I don't know. I had definitely would lean to the over at 47. I think that uh, especially with the Titans getting some of their weapons back, presumably AJ Brown is going to be even healthier than he has been. There's uh, opportunity for lots of points in this one. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Makes sense. Okay, so the next game is you know a big game for my you know, my predictions, but you know we'll see. I really got to wait on this one. You know if if you're if you're betting maybe the Packers you can bet them now. But 49ers are going to the Packers. It's 8:15 Eastern. Green Bay Open is a five-point favorite. Wish you got that if you're a Green Bay backer. It's up to six right now. 47 and a half point total. We talked about Nick Bosa and Jimmy G's shoulder. I still like San Francisco in this game. I think that they match up really well against Green Bay. But um, I will say that you're probably going to get more points if you like the 49ers. I think it's probably going to tick up to six and a half. At some point, uh, maybe even seven, especially depending on the obviously Jimmy G is out, then it could get higher. And I, I like the under. I know that a lot of people think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but if the Niners can control the game, I think they're going to run the clock. I mean, it's just going to keep mm-hmm. you know, keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And it looks like there is sharp money on that total under as of now. Another spread of, or I mean, uh, total 47 currently. But I'm with you. I obviously the Jimmy G question mark gives me some pause because i don't believe that trey lance is he's probably a three two and a half to three point drop off at this point in his career and i think it will be extremely interesting to see if timmy g actually does get ruled out to see where this number settles probably crash through the touchdown and land at eight and a half or nine sure but um you know, like I said, I have an expectation that Jimmy will play, and I'm with you. I think that the Packers' run defense sucks, and I, I don't think it. I know it because they're 28th ranked against the run this year, and we've seen a whole slew of teams um, just run all over them. And now we're seeing uh, Debo Samuel get more carries, and Eli Mitchell, the rookie running back, has been great too. So I, I like the Niners. I like them on the money line too. I think the Packers are going to lose. I think so too. Now, what if you, what if Lance plays? Do you think that, I mean, not the money line at that point, but do you think it's a good value at the 10 or 9.5 if it gets Lance in the game? No, I, I would definitely be passing on the side if Trey Lance is out there. I think that lends some more value to the under. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're probably going to see it move down on the total as well if it's Lance. But 
Um, I, I think that 45, 44 range would be good with Lance under center. Right. And if you're a Packer backer, it doesn't mean you, you know, we're, we're giving you advice here, but you know, Green Bay has got to come out and they got to score 14 points in the first quarter and get San Francisco to throw the ball. Cause Jimmy G not just with the injury, he's going to turn the ball over. He did it last week. If you can, you know, it's, it's really about game script in this game. Who's going to control the game. Now I do think the defensive line for San Francisco is really good, but the secondary is not so good. And we saw that even in the first matchup against these teams, they couldn't cover Devontae Adams, and it was it was shameful at the end of the game. Couldn't catch two like 30-yard passes to get him in field goal range to win. Um, so obviously, you know that's a factor. But I think that San Francisco is a really good football team, and so hopefully we get to see the best play at the same time on, on Saturday night. Okay, well let's go into the Sunday night games. You've got the Rams against the Bucks. This is a rematch of, again. Uh, this is three o'clock Eastern time. Tampa Open is a three-point favorite. It's really right around that three points is that what you're seeing actually i'm seeing that at rivers too oh it's two and a half now two and a half really? at rivers yeah so that's a good number for the for the box but um so 48 and a half point total and that's what i'm seeing at rivers right now um let's see there's extra juice so i just yeah minus one minus, minus 18 so look this is an interesting situation again worse not playing uh, you know the backup wasn't good from what I saw, but again, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I can say about the Rams. Monday night was kind of an accurate representation because I don't think I think the Cardinals were bad. They just were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think if they played anybody, they would have played well. Um, three points at home. I mean, I'm kind of the Bucks here. Action. I don't like to be. I don't like. You know, I we picked the Rams early in the season. I thought this was a great matchup for them. Yeah. But we know how Stafford's been, and i got to be honest with you, I know that the Eagles' offense is not like the Rams, but that defense looked really good on Sunday. So I'm inclined to, you know, that two-and-a-half, I jump on two-and-a-half for the Bucks in this one. Look, I don't like Tom Brady. I don't want to win another title, but I'm just saying I think that I'd be on, I'd be on the Bucks here. Yeah, I don't really have strong conviction on this game, but I can tell you that, I have some concern if indeed Wirfs is out or limited because, uh, you know, the the Rams defensive line can rush the passer. Oh yeah. And um, um, who's the who's the defensive end that they got out of Denver? His name is escaping me right now. Um, Von Miller. And uh, Von Miller and company are going to get after Tom Brady and put some pressure on him. So. I would probably lean to the Rams here, but I'm probably not going to be betting on this game. Okay. Well, it probably is a good opportunity, to be honest with you, action to tease the Rams up, right, and, and get it to like eight and a half, nine, plus eight and a half, nine, and then depending on where you want to maybe either do it another leg in a different game. What do you think about the total in this game? I, you know, originally I was thinking, oh, this will probably be an over game just because, you know, both offenses are really good, but – you know, the defenses can show out too. I, I really think that Tampa, the way they're going to win, if they get to the back to the Super Bowl, it's going to be on defense. And, you know, Tom obviously has been carving up everybody, no matter who he has out there at receiver. But uh, 48 and a half, I mean, I'd probably, if, if you were to do the teaser thing, I'd probably tease the Bucks up and the total down and do the over is the way I would do it. Yeah. We saw last week the number, uh, the total in Tampa crash, but that was largely due to this huge windstorm that was supposedly coming through. Right. And uh, looks like this week they're expecting 61 degrees and clear in Tampa for the game. And in the previous meeting, they did put up 58 points combined. So we've seen these two teams eclipse this total in really the last several meetings. Last year it was 27-24. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I would agree. I think that there's probably going to be some points here. Right, right. Okay, the last game of the weekend, the marquee game, is the Bills at the Chiefs. Uh, this is 6.30 p.m. Eastern. I should be back from Tampa by then, by the way. Uh, so Kansas City Open is a two-point favorite. Uh, Rex, actually, I didn't update this. I think it's one and a half at Rivers right now. It is. Yeah, one and a half. Two, two. I've seen two and one and a half, too. So it's around two or one and a half where uh, you know Kansas City is the favorite at home. The totals at 55, is that accurate? Yeah, 54 and a half, 55. Look, I've already put my chips on the table. I think I think Buffalo's going to win this football game. I know that I'm I'm getting sucked in. Like last week, 
and I wrote my article. It's all over the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he's my guy, but there's something about this Bills team action, and I know that they didn't play. There's a couple times they didn't cover, but they are running all cylinders, and that defense played incredible. And I granted, it's a lesser quarterback. I know you're Mac Jones. I'm sorry I don't insult him, but he didn't play well. Uh, so this could be a high-scoring shooting affair, but, I mean, the Bills have a better defense. They have a better offense. I mean, I, I don't know. Am I missing something? I mean, they can pass the ball a little better than the Bills, but these teams are, I mean, it's not just the index. I think the Bills are a better football team. Yeah, but they they are going on the road to Kansas City, yep. and I know that they went to Kansas City previously this season and pasted them. Um by 18 points in the first meeting with the very similar spread, I might add. I think. Oh no, scratch that. It closed Buffalo minus two and a half. It looks like. Is that right? It must have been. Yeah. Uh, no. No, no. Was it? Can't. No, sorry. It was Kansas City minus two and a half in the first game. It's the same. And, right. And um, but the difference is that was when Kansas City was in their losing streak early on in the season. Remember, they couldn't cover a game. And uh, I think the defense has obviously gotten much better since then. Certainly not as high as the Bills are. But I, I, I like the Chiefs in this one. I think that they're the team with the pedigree and that they are going to rise up and beat the Bills. They've got revenge on their minds after the first game in the season this as well. So. I think we're on opposite sides on this one. Yeah, we are. I mean, look, I think the winner of this game is in the Super Bowl. I, I, I do believe that. They might actually win the Super Bowl, winner of this game. I think that, you know, as much as I love the Titan story and and everything, I just kind of see either of these teams going to Tennessee and beating them. And in the Super Bowl, we'll see if they play the box or whoever. But these are two really good teams. Josh Allen is is getting to that point. And this is his chance. This is his big shot. Now, maybe he, sorry to use the term, blew his wide last week because um, he had a perfect game pretty much. But I'm just excited, man. I'm excited to watch this football game. So it's really great. So, okay, we don't have to go to the picks, but I think it sounds like, you know, in general we're a little bit different on the the Bills-Chiefs, you know, maybe maybe similar. We need to hear some information about the Bucks. Um, you're still on the Niners with me and then the Titans. So it's not like Saturday are easier picks for us than Sunday. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, side action fans, we are transitioning. Now we're going into coop season, coop specifically. And, uh, you know, what we do on this podcast, we'll still talk about NFL until it's over. We start integrating our college basketball picks, and it's our second love. And one of the things we like to talk about right away is the action index. So we have the WEGS index in the NFL, and we've got the action index in, the, in college hoops. And, you know, a couple of years ago, this guy was making a fortune on Texas Tech. So let's follow his advice when it comes to action. You want to walk us through what the action index is and, you know, how it's derived. Yeah, uh, it's Ken Palm based. I think everyone who handicaps college hoops probably knows who Ken Palm is and Pay the 20 bucks for the subscription. Definitely <laughs> worth it. Uh, but I take Ken's data and, and really kind of own in on the uh, offense adjusted efficiency and the defensive adjusted efficiency. And uh, it's basically tells, gives you a, a metric of how many points each team will score on a per possession basis. And then you can use that data and multiply it by their average pace to come up with a, a total. And what I do is I actually tweak some of those numbers to uh, add in some uh, rebounding adjustment, turnovers, as well as field goal shooting percentage. Mm -hmm. And so I I believe that rebounding is a very important factor, for example, in, in college basketball. Sure. And so I weight that a little bit more than some of the other metrics to kind of tweak Ken's numbers. And, and it results in a little bit of differences sometimes and sometimes not so much. Right. And, and for those that, you know, are new to our podcast or for this year and listen to football, you know, Ken Palm is like, you know, he's the guru, right? And you can look at his website and check all the stuff. There's a lot of information there. But what Action's been able to do is kind of distill that. And it really kind of gets predictive. You know, we can use his Ken Palm stuff for point spreads and everything. But more importantly, you know, action and I, I what I try to do is pick the horses you know I'm trying to pick the horses as it comes to the tournament and who I really trust and who I don't trust 
And uh, I agree with you, action. Rebounding is important, not just in college and any, 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 any level of basketball. I would hope it's important. So who you've got? I was just going to add. Historically, uh, the national championships have always been in the top twenty defensively and offensively in Ken Palm's ratings. So definitely something to look after if you're going after a national championship pick. That's right. I always look at the combined, you know, score of those. When you see those teams that are like number one in offense, but 145th in defense. I mean, as good as they may be in Ken Palm, I got to stay away from you know come tournament time and when they play certain opponents. So. That's well, Purdue, I think. <laughs> right. Well, let's kind of, you know, we, you know, looking at, at actions list, we'll kind of, I think most of these teams are all covered below here. What I thought we'd do is kind of go league by league and talk about the teams that, that are kind of exciting right now. And obviously this will change a little bit, but usually what happens at this stage of the year, because they've already been playing for a couple months, we're kind of late to the party here in the podcast, but you know, some of these leagues are traditionally really good, and that may or may not translate to tournament success, but it also can translate into betting success. So let's go over some of these big leagues action. Let's go with the Big 12, which I'm not saying it's the best league this year, but it traditionally is a really competitive league, and I watched some games last night for the first time and was really impressed. So we know that Baylor is one of the top teams in your index, and in general, they had a tough week last week. Um, they're returning a couple of guys from their championship team from last year in Flagler and Mayer. Um, but what do you like about this Baylor team? Well, I mean, uh, defensively, I think you got to start there when you're talking about Baylor because last year, the national championship team, and again, this season, there was a really strong defensive team. Um, they, they really like to suppress their opponents, and they uh, historically are excellent defensive rebounding as well. So... Uh, certainly uh, I'm a defensive guy and, and they fit the bill from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, you're all coached. Um, I think that Baylor over the last couple of years and this year's no exception in college basketball, guard play is really important. Size is really important as you talked about with rebounding, but late game situations, free throw shooting, turnovers, guards, and they always have good guards at Baylor. So um, the rest of the league, you've got Kansas. I watched them last night, you know, Obviously, you got uh, the former Loyola coach Moser is over in Oklahoma. They they probably should have won that game. They blew it against Kansas. It was a great game, but Kansas is a good team. They've got lots of size, and they've got a guy named Agbaji, who's the leading scorer in the, in the Big 12. At least he was going into last night on the perimeter. So they're kind of back. They I will tell you, you know, our guy uh, Prime looks a lot like um, Bill Self. I think uh, it, looks like, <laughs> it looks like Bill Self is healthier this year. He's not as stressed out after all that investigation. Space is not as red. It looks like his team is playing a lot better than they were last year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, preseason, I think Kansas was probably the number one in terms of the futures odds boards. So certainly the preseason favorite to win the national championship. And Agbaji is definitely a beast inside. Their defense is not quite as good as Baylor, though. I think mid-30s. Mm -hmm. So uh, something to keep in mind, but definitely an excellent offense. The other two teams I wanted to highlight, I mentioned Oklahoma, but they're good, but they'll probably be like a you know eight or nine seed type team or ten seed. Is Texas? Texas, you know, obviously they had a coaching change. You had Shaka Smart there at one time. Now you've got Chris Beard going from Tech to you know to Texas, so he brings that brand of defense, and he's probably brought some of his, you know, maybe not his guys from Texas Tech, but he got his transfers in. I saw they lost a tough one last night, but. As you mentioned, this team plays, you know, pretty good defense. They're in the top 15 in defense. They're decent scoring the ball, too. And the other team is Texas Tech. It's former team where Mark Adams is the coach, his former assistant, and they're third on the defensive side. So these are teams that when you come, you know, when you're going to play these other teams, you better bring your lunch pail. You better start playing really good uh, on offense. Otherwise, you're going to get beat up. Yeah, Texas Tech in particular is one team that I've been targeting a lot this season for unders, the second-ranked defensively. I guess you have third on here, but right. uh, they play a very slow pace as well, so you see a lot of low-scoring games in their uh, contests. All right. And in general, top to bottom, this league, you know, you've got teams like Kansas State, Oklahoma State that – I mean, they can win at any given night. I think it, winning in the in, on the road in the Big 12 is really challenging. So as we talk going forward in the season, when you see a road situation, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to win on the road. So you, you obviously want to get those points if you're a home dog, you know, in the Big 12. 
let's talk about our favorite Big Ten, you know, Big Ten country, actually still in Big Ten country, you know, everybody knows he hasn't worn the, sh- the sweatshirt in a minute, but, you know, the pre-sweatshirt over here in Detroit for action. Purdue is, our, I mean, they should be the best team in the Big Ten, even though Wisconsin's going great. You got your two twin towers out there. I might have misspelled the eBay and Williams, and then the number one offense in America. Why don't you tell us about your team? <laughs> eBay, I like it. Uh, Zach Eady is uh, Canadian born, Canadian born Ontario uh, guy, and he he stands at seven foot four, and he is every bit of seven foot four. So much so that when he makes a move in the paint. He's always elbowing his opponents, and he often gets calls for uh, for high elbows. But he's just he's just tall. I don't know what to say. But uh, Purdue this season is not the historic uh, Matt Painter team because typically right. you see Purdue defensively is in the top ten of every in every season. But this year they've sloughed off quite a bit, down in the 60s in defensive rating. But they've made up for it with their offense number one rated per Ken Palm. They're scoring over, almost one and a quarter points for every possession. And uh, that really comes down to the efficiency of both Edie and Travion Williams on the inside because both of them are uh, very high in terms of um, field goal percentage. And what I understand is they don't play them together necessarily. They kind of throw Edie and Williams and just kind of wear down the other big man. So then – by the end of the game, they're just destroying him inside, and that kind of happened against Kofi Coburn the other night. You know, took two overtimes, but um, yeah. So, and, I, and one general comment about the Big Ten last year, they had like what ten teams make the tournament. They were like really deep. I don't feel like the Big Ten is as deep this year. Um, you know, last year, like a Rutgers team, you had teams that were like pretty good. It seems like there's a little bit more top heavy than past years. Um, but maybe you know better. Uh, the, the other team I just mentioned is Wisconsin. I watched the game last night against Northwestern. They won seven straight. They've beaten some top teams. This Johnny Davis, I guess, is player of the year, you know, favorite right now. He's their guard. They've beaten teams like Houston and Purdue already. Uh, what do you see in this Wisconsin Badger team? Uh, hatred. <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin is my kryptonite, man. I don't know what to say. They, uh, they're they good. I, I, I will admit that. And I, it really comes down to Johnny Davis. He is otherworldly. I think uh, he is in the top 10 in terms of Ken Palm's player ratings. He uh, can score pretty much at will from anywhere on the court. And that gives them an element that this Wisconsin team hasn't had in several years. Right. And uh, certainly with a player like that, they can make a run in March. Yeah, they'll be a tough team. I mean, they're well coached, of course. Um, Greg Gard is always a good coach, but I agree. They have a guy in late situations that can score, you know, without screens or set plays. So we'll see how that works. He, he looked like he broke his nose last night. We'll see if he, right. you know, missed a game. Or, you know, he got hit pretty good across the nose. He came right back in the game with, with stuff in his nose. I mean, the guy was a tough guy. Uh, a couple other teams, you know, Illinois, I mentioned that I'm ready. You know, they were really good last year. They're not as deep as they were a year ago, but Kofi's a big guy in the middle. Frazier and Cabello are really good on the outside. They have, you know, a team that can really play. Uh, I do like them, of course. Ohio State is good. EJ Liddell is a really good basketball player, probably in that top five, top ten player in the country kind of situation. He can score on any given night. Are there any other teams that you like in the Big Ten right now? Yeah, I think Michigan State deserves to be highlighted as well. They are they have their typical um, you know, hard-nosed defensive team, not you know, top 25 defense and, and mediocre offense as well, but I think this is one of his uh really when you use the word team, this is probably one of the teams that he's ever had because there isn't really one individual standout sure. in this group, but they play really well together. Right. Michigan's a little down this year, but you know, they can surprise here and there. Well, let's jump to the, the the league that kind of surprised us last year. At least I was pumping them up. Ashton kept putting me down for trying to pump them up, and then he ends up riding them to player championship. But the Pac-12, I mean, this is a team that, you know, that's the League of Champions. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> uh, but they've got three really good teams that, you know, they made some some noise last year in the, in the tournament, not just these three teams. They had several teams play well. But Arizona – has a really talented team. They've got this 6'11 sophomore, Azulis Tubulis, or whatever his name is. 
He's supposed to be a, a super athletic dude. They've got a new coach in Tommy Lloyd, who's a, a old a, a Gonzaga assistant. Um, this team, I guess, I've heard a lot of pundits say that this team could win the championship, which is weird. We haven't heard a Pac-12 team win in a while. I haven't been able to see them yet, but you know they're a really talented team, and um, you know it's exciting to see the Pac-12 actually play good the regular season and maybe get a decent seed. Yeah, I mean, uh, we described earlier the the resume that you need to win a championship, and Arizona fits it, 14th ranked offensively and 9th on defense. And uh, this is definitely a team that can make a run in March. I would definitely put them in the top five in terms of odds to win the title. Right. Some other teams here, you know, last year USC was my squad. Um, they lose Evan Mobley to the NBA, the talented now, you know, he's a rookie in the, in, you know, in the league. But his brother's on there with Isaiah Mobley. They still have a very good team. You know, they're not quite as good as they were last year, but they're kind of in that, you know, you know 28 to 35 range in both offense and defense. So they're really good. And also UCLA, this is Action's team with Johnny Juzang. Um, they still return all their team. They had the same team as last year, essentially. And they've got, you know, all these guys, Mick Cronin's got them playing. They're not playing as well, but they're still in the top 20 in both offense and defense. So do you like either of these teams? No, <laughs> I, I've been, I've been looking to find spots to fade UCLA this year. I think that they're yeah. just they're The odds makers are in the public are going off that run last year and they're just overrated to be honest. Right. Um, I mean, certainly it's the same team. Like you mentioned, they could get hot again. And I, I certainly wouldn't put down Juzang's scoring ability. But uh, much like most seasons, I'm probably going to be down on the Pac-12 going into March. We'll see if they surprise me again. Right, right. I think the next deepest league besides the Big 12 is the SEC, especially when you look at the the matchups and what they can do. Uh, Kentucky's back. It's always great to have Kentucky back. You may not like Coach Cal, but honestly, I, I respect him. I think he brings a lot to the table as a coach and is recruiting. But when they're good, it's it's always more fun in the SEC, and he's got a really good team of young and older players. He's got Ty Ty Washington as a frosh guard, but he's got some some good forwards from transfers and some holdovers. So they're a really good team. You see Auburn's up there as well. They're a super good team from the metrics, like top 15 in both. And then your guy, Nate Oates, the coach of Alabama. I mean, these guys just keep coming um, in LSU and Tennessee. So you've got five excellent teams in this. And I'm not even talking about Mississippi State and um, Ole Miss. They're all in the top 40 of Ken Palm. So some good teams there. Yeah, definitely a really deep league. My pick of this league has got to be Auburn, though. I mean, I've been incredibly impressed with their defense. And Jabari Smith, as their leader, is an excellent player. I'm kind of down on Alabama, uh, despite their run last season. It's a team that I've been looking to fade game in and game out. I think it's another team that I've got on my overrated list. Okay, good to know. Uh, a few other leagues, and we go through all these leagues. ACC, I think it's shallow again. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Duke has this really good super freshman, and this Paolo uh, Banchero, 6'10". He's like a point guard, but he's 6'10". He's a great passer. They've got three other guys on the freshman side. They're really good. Uh, Coach K is last season, and Shire is going to take over next year. I watched him last night. It was funny because I haven't watched – barely any college basketball. I'm like, oh, Duke's taking Florida State. Florida State always beats Duke. And what happened? They beat him again in overtime. And and Leonard Hamilton's team, who I love always, they're not as good as they've been. But So I'm not saying it's the same old Duke, but it's one of these things that as good as Duke is, they kind of get manhandled when they go down to Florida State. Um, the other teams in the ACC, you've got North Carolina, of course. They're always pretty good in Virginia Tech. But it's not the old ACC of like four or five years ago, is it? No, definitely not. I mean, this is probably the most surprising conference, I would say. For those of you who may not follow college basketball closely, you would just expect the ACC to be good. And mm -hmm. that's just not the case this year. Uh, realistically, you could be looking at one or two teams from the ACC that make the tournament. I know. I know. Uh, last big league is the Big East. Uh, it looks like Nova's back, which is exciting. Colin Gillespie got hurt late in the year last year, hurt their chances uh, but they played pretty good in the tournament, if you remember. They they surprised some teams, but Colin Gillespie is back as a super senior, fifth-year senior, which is kind of a COVID adjustment we can talk about as the season goes on. So they're they're playing really good basketball. 
And then you've got other really guard-heavy teams like UConn, uh, Xavier, and Seton Hall that kind of round out the Big East. Are there any? Are you big on the Big East, or are you uh, still kind of fading them as you do the ACC? No, I mean, there's some teams in the Big East that I think could make some surprises. I like Providence, too. They've got a good team this year, uh, kind of middle of the pack in both offensive and defensive efficiency metrics. And, um, you know, there's some teams that I that are on my often fade list, too. Butler is one team in particular in this league that I love to fade often, as well as Creighton. They have been playing very poor lately as well. Right. They've been good in the past. A couple of the teams to, to keep in mind, we always talk about the Zags. So out of the you know Western uh, Conference, they've got the, the Zags are playing, or West Coast Conference. They've got Drew Timmy back. The Zags are always at the top. They're number one again in AP and also in Ken Palm again. So, you, you know, same old thing. Uh, they almost had it last year for their big title. But there's some really other good teams in this conference. And BYU's good, St. Mary's, even uh, University of uh, San Francisco is pretty good. So... They may steal some bids from like an ACC or a, a Big East this year. Yeah, that's a really great point. Typically, you just see one or two bids out of this league, but and Gonzaga is not quite their same formidable self. I know right now they're number one at Kimpom, but they've already dropped two games this season to Duke and Alabama, and I, right. I think they'll probably lose another one here in conference play as well. Right. The last team that obviously made a you know kind of historic run to the Final Four was Houston out of the American athletic conference i mean they're really good i think they have i mean samson's a really good coach but they're returning sasser and white from last year's team they lose your guy um jero al jero is that his name was his name yeah yeah he was really good dejan jero sorry al jero's a singer um (laughs) but the uh they they don't have a lot of competition in this league so they're going to be really good they're going to have a really good record maybe a gaudy record but we have to kind of be wary of that but you know they've They've played outside their conference. Obviously, we mentioned they lost to Wisconsin, but this team always plays really good defense, and they're in the top 16 of both categories in Ken Palm right now. Yeah, and uh, and typically I I look to Houston in years past as an under team because of their extremely strong defense, but so far this season, their scoring has been surprising me quite a bit. They're eighth ranked in adjusted offense this season, which is quite a bit different than in years past. Exactly. Well, so typically what we'll do for the college basketball thing, we'll highlight big games. Uh, we'll go over actions index first and then highlight big games. And I, I don't know if you had a chance to look at these, but I threw out a few this week. Um, you know, a lot of them are big 10 and, you know, big conference games. But Purdue is going to Indiana. Uh, you know, that's your obviously alma mater going to Indiana. This is on the 20th, which is um, I guess that's tomorrow night, Thursday night. Um, Purdue is a three and a half point favorite in Indiana. Uh, do you like do you like the Boilers? Well, uh, I, I like the Boilers. I'm, I'm a fan, <laughs> but uh, I'm probably going to pass on the side, despite the fact that I must point out Purdue has won nine games in a row against Indiana, which is an incredible streak if you can think about it that way. And six of those have been covers against the spread. But uh, this game, I'm going to be targeting the total. I already bet it uh, 145. It opened up at here tonight. And I think that this is definitely an under game. Uh, Indiana actually has a really good defense this year, their 11th-ranked defensive efficiency. And despite Purdue's stellar offense and kind of mediocre defense, I think that this is a game that's going to be played at more of an Indiana pace. And on Monday, when Purdue visited Illinois, the total closed at 147. And in that game, we had an Illinois team with a much better offense and a poorer defense. So I think this number is just a bit too high, and I played under 145. Gotcha. One of the things we should say is because college basketball is a little different than, like, pro football, they're only going to put the spread out a day, a day and a half or so ahead of the scheduled game. So oftentimes we have to report out kind of a projected spread and where we like. We, we still only tape once a week, and so we kind of have to project what we think the line's going to be based on Ken Palm and some of actions metrics um the next game we have on the on the slate is michigan state at wisconsin this is you know we never talked about this we didn't talk about college football this year we know that action loves the friday night action this is a friday night action game uh michigan state at wisconsin wisconsin would be a three-point favorite here against sparty uh, on friday night are you any any action against the badgers your your, your nemesis I alluded to it earlier, and I like betting against Wisconsin, but I'm not sure that this is the spot to do it. 
they're typically really tough in Madison, and uh, I'm projecting about the same. Actually, I, I have Michigan State a little bit rated higher than Wisconsin, so right. probably a little bit of value on the Spartans, but it's just really tough to play uh, road teams in the Big Ten. It is. It is. Yeah, I have. I mean, they're almost dead even in Ken Palm, right? They're right there together, so depends on how you look at it. Okay, good to know. Uh, we've got some SEC matchups. I think Saturday has some really good SEC matchups. If you want to watch college basketball before, you know, before the football games, Kentucky goes to Auburn. We talked about Auburn and how good they are on Saturday. And, um, you know, I'm a little partial to Kentucky because I think, you know, obviously big game Cal, you know, gets his team going. But Auburn has been really tough at home in general this year. And, you know, Bruce Pearl and all that. Uh, so any any idea about the Wildcats going to, to visit the, uh, the Tigers? Yeah, actually, uh, I think that there's some value on Kentucky as mm-hmm. uh, projected road underdogs here. Ken Palm has Auburn favored by three. And mm-hmm. typically, I think you alluded to this, the books like to take Ken Palm's numbers and just post them and see what happens. Right. So, I actually have Kentucky as a little bit berated in this game, three points better than the Auburn Tigers. And I think that there's some value if you're catching three on the road. Yeah, I think so, too. They're a really good football, uh, basketball team. They can score the ball, even though uh, Auburn's really good against, you know, in general in defense. But I think, you know, if you look at actions ratings with Kentucky and their rebounding, they're always a good rebounding team. The other SEC team on, uh, game on Saturday is LSU at Tennessee. Uh, these are really good teams, as well, as I mentioned. As I mentioned, this is kind of weird. LSU is kind of inverted. In years past, they've been a really good offensive team and not a great defensive team, they're number one in defense this year, actually, and 105th in offense. That's weird, isn't it? But um, yeah. I just kind of feel like Tennessee – I mean, this is going to be a defensive battle. I think the under would be the play here. I don't know what the total is, but – Nailed it. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah, Kempon projecting 136, and I've seen LSU play a couple times this year. Their defense is awesome. Right. And uh, on the other side, you have a Tennessee team that also likes to play defense. They're fifth ranked in their own right. So – Ken Palm projecting 136. I think this is definitely an under game. Okay. Two more games for college basketball this week. Uh, we've got Michigan State, Sparty, and Sparty and both games this week uh, at Illinois this time. This is a Tuesday matchup on the 25th. Uh, you talked about, you know, Illinois obviously can can do both things. They can score the basketball very well, and Sparty typically, you know, maybe not quite as good. I like Illinois at home when they play. Uh, I don't know what the your projected spread is here, but I would probably take Illinois at home. Yeah, I'm just pulling up here. Tuesday looks like Ken Palm is showing Illinois minus six. Okay. So probably a good number. My um, metrics show that Illinois will be about five-point favorite on a neutral. Okay. So factor in home court there, you're probably looking at eight, a couple points of value on the Illini for sure. Nice. The last game is the ones we talked about, the Pac-12 face-off on Tuesday night. And, you know, when you watch these college basketball games, you got to stay up late. Sometimes they start at 9 or 10. Uh, Arizona's going to UCLA. Uh, it sounds like you would be on the, the Arizona side not knowing the spread right now, given the, your, your feeling on UCLA. And, and I'd probably be on board with that. I think this team is really good road or home. Yeah. That looks like uh, Ken Palm is showing a UCLA one-point victory in this one. So short road dog here for Arizona. And, uh, again, similarly, my numbers have Arizona as four points better than UCLA. So – um, looking like, and, and, you know, realistically, you might even get a couple more points of value given the odds makers uh, propensity to shade towards the Bruins. Right. For sure. Well, there you go. So we close out college basketball this week, next week, a little bit more, maybe or about the same, maybe less on the <laughs> details of the conferences, just talk about the games. So uh, we'll go forward. Uh, and we talked last week about throwing some more sports at you and action's going to give it to you. We've got the American express tournament in the PGA it sounds like he's done some handicapping, so let me know what, what you're thinking for this weekend. Yeah, I I, uh, I know that you like to golf, Wags, and I'm hoping I can convert you into a golf better as well. Sure. If I can win. But, <laughs> you know, I like to uh, mix it up. Historically, I've not really been interested in betting what they call outrights, which are picking a golfer mm-hmm. to win a tournament. But I've more recently come around to the realization that you could actually find some value in some cases where you're betting on a golfer that might have longer odds to win the tournament than they really should be. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing that a little bit more this season, obviously reducing a bet size tremendously. 
mm-hmm. if you're betting on longer odds. But then the other way that you can bet golf is to play matchups where right. uh, the books will pit one golfer against another and then just set a number against it, much like a baseball game might be lined. Mm-hmm. So this week is uh, the third tournament in the newly minted season in 2022. The first two were in Hawaii, and this weekend they're back on the mainland in La Quinta, California. Mm-hmm. And this one is kind of an interesting setup because there's three courses that are in play and there's a rotation format. So Thursday, <laughs> Friday, and Saturday, each of the golfers will play one round at each of the three courses. And then mm-hmm. after the first 54 holes, they're actually going to make the cut, which is atypical because normally they do it after the first two rounds. And so two of the courses are, are really kind of uh, very low-end courses for the tour. And so okay. it's uh, it's an expectation that this is going to be quite the birdie fest. And um, there isn't really a lot of rough or hazards on either side. So driving accuracy comes less into play. And uh, it looks like that there's going to be a lot of low scores in this one projecting uh, in the 20s or so. So you're really looking to target players that are really good around the green and mm-hmm. that are really good putters because especially on tour, when you take out um, driving accuracy, then really those are the important factors. Sure. So the other thing about this tournament is historically there has been some really long shots that have won. You don't typically see any of the favorites come through, although John Rahm is participating this week. He is the world's number one and appropriately priced at like 650 Certainly uh, not something that I'm interested in betting on when it comes to uh, golf. So yeah, I've targeted a couple of longer shots this week. Taylor Gooch at 29 to one won the RSM Classic in the last uh, tournament in the fall, and he's a really great putter as well. So uh, bet him. And then I've got a couple of longer shots too that I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of money on. Jonathan Vegas at 75 to one, Taylor Moore at 90 to one, and Harold Varner at 120 to one. So I'm hoping to cash a big ticket this week, Wags. I mean, I mean Vegas. I mean, Johnny Vegas. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though, Action. So when you get to Sunday and the cut's made and all these guys are in it or maybe two of them in it, do you look to hedge at that point? Is there a way to hedge your bet um, at that point with either a matchup or how do you do it? How do you approach it? That's a phenomenal question. It's tough when you bet outrights because any number of golfers could potentially come victorious on Sunday. But if you have a player who's near at or near the top, typically those matchups will come out in the exact order that their playing partners might be. So if you have a player like Taylor Moore at 90 to one, who is happens to be in the last group, you could just attack the matchup against his uh, opponent and potentially come out on that one. Gotcha. Gotcha. It looks like you, you have another matchup that you're looking besides those right guys. Yeah. One, one matchup I do like this week is uh, going against Brian Harmon. He is a player who played last week in the Sony open and did not fare well over the weekend. Um, did not have the putter with him. And I think that he is going to be into some trouble this weekend. So I played Luke list minus 120 over Brian Harmon. Gotcha. And so basically, if Harmon doesn't make the cut and Luke and List does, you win your bet, right? That's right. Yeah. Or if List just has to beat him by one stroke in the tournament, then you'll win the bet as well. And where are you getting most of your information for the for the golf information? So the the website I stumbled across this year is called datagolf.com. And There, they have a paywall as well, but there is a lot of free information on there. You can look at course history and course fits. They have um, strokes gained data from mm-hmm. the last five plus years on all of these golfers. So you can go in and look at, in particular, the courses, the stadium course that's going to be played twice this weekend. You can look and see how each one of the golfers has fared on that exact course in their history. Nice. So I think that's the the advantage. I mean, if you're willing to take the time to look at that data, you know, mm-hmm. it's not as, I guess, there is actually pretty good volume. There's a lot of betting people betting on golf, but it seems to me that people who take the time like yourself for doing some research, you know, you have an advantage where I think, as we've noted in the NFL and <laughs> highly bet sports, it's hard yeah. to edge sometimes <laughs> because everybody's got the same information. So. Uh, it's challenging, so that's great. I'm glad you've uh, 
get some winners here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Like I said, hit an outright winner last week with Matsuyama, and hopefully can pick out a few more as the season progresses. And you're just you're out for that. Are you you're doing your local you know online books? Are you doing offshore? Where are you, how are you betting those? Um, I look across all of them. I, mm-hmm. You know, there's several websites that you can look. Odds Trader comes to mind, and uh, I think even the Action Network has a free odds page for golf as well. So does Data Golf. So mm-hmm. you can look and and really do your line shopping to make sure that if you're targeting a golfer that you're playing it at the best odds. Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you, Action. There we go. We've diversified. We've gotten to the point where we're trying to offer, you know, offer your bankroll increase on all sports, not just the NFL and That's college right. basketball. Nice work. Okay, great. Well, uh, look, that wraps us up this week. And it was a little bit longer episode because we did the preview of the college basketball. And we've got the wild card. But next week, we only have the championship round. We only have two games to, to handicap in the NFL. So we'll do that. Plus, we'll do college basketball, maybe a little golf or something else that Action wants to sprinkle in. So hopefully you can win some money and um, do what we did this weekend and win some money like we did in wildcard weekend. So yeah. we'll follow us at Side Action Pod on Twitter. Follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and Instagram. And follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. All right. Good luck, everybody. It should be another great weekend. That's a wrap for this episode of the Side Action Podcast. We appreciate all of your listens, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you all again next week on Thursday for some more hot picks and side action. podcast its owners and associates take no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the show hosts or their guests statements or show topics are not necessarily the beliefs of this podcast and opinions between talk show hosts may conflict individuals following the advice given on the podcast accept their own risk of losses from wagers made as the side action podcast its owners hosts associates or guests will not guarantee any advice given the opinions and advice given on the side action podcast is for entertainment purposes only Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Intro and outro and transition music credits. Song titles, Jerry 5 and District 4 by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.org. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. CreativeCommons.org backslash licenses backslash by 3.0.